There is a very contained psychosis in the middle of someone who's normal otherwise. Yep. And, and that psychosis is I can be perfect, right? That I've got yes. somehow the ability or should have the ability to be perfect. And Completely I, broken from reality. Completely. And it Absolutely. binds anxiety. See, I think that idea surfaced as a solution to who do I have to be? What do I have to do to ensure I'm going to be okay in this world? Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. I'm Tom Rutledge, and with me as always is our wonderful producer, Patrick Newman. And I believe you're in San Diego today, Patrick. I think you're taking time off from a vacation to talk to us. And uh, Dr. Alan Berger. Great to see you guys. How are you boys guys. doing? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just uh, celebrating my three-year uh, dating anniversary with my girlfriend. Um, it's uh, been uh, just a wonderful uh Wonderful time, best relationship I've ever had. And uh, I'm just happy that uh, we can take a little time off to do some fun stuff and, uh, you know, um, see some new sites. We went to the San Diego Zoo yesterday and uh, I uh, was maybe like six inches away from a gorilla as he ate from a branch. And uh, wow. that's exactly the kind of, wow. the re you know, that's the reason I want to go to the zoo. I wanted to see some of nature uh, as much as I can where I can. Yeah. While I still yeah. can. Mm -hmm. Well, so so three years in your relationship, since our subject today is going to be about perfectionism, have you done it perfectly? Have you and Maddie done this perfectly? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I love his answer. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely not. Yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, definitely in it to win it. And, um, you know, I uh, it's just it's been a beautiful time beautiful relationship i'm lucky to be in it and uh you know working on it with someone well one, one of the wonderful things that we can finally do in a sobriety right we can we you know right. we can actually you know we we don't have to actually though and alan you're you're always the one telling me this i hear you telling us this all the time it's like you don't you don't wait till you have it all together before you before you get into a relationship you know you you basically discover and it is certainly my my story with Dee is is you know you know, well, we were still both two drinking alcoholics when we, when we got into our relationship. So we we've walked through this stuff, you know, together. But you got to find somebody who's I, I always tell people, find somebody who's who's introspective and, and uh, willing to yeah. grow. And, there, and there's your, there's your there's your person you can be in a relationship with. That's right. That's mm -hmm. right. <laughs> so last night I, I got to have some fun yesterday. Uh, well, Two things happened. I got to see my dear friend, Roger, who's been really struggling lately, and it was good to see him. And he seems to be adjusting well to his new life. And and then I got to go to a comedy night. That's uh, wow. they call it Catskills 
um, in Stockton. Stockton, New Jersey is just over the mm-hmm. river, over the Delaware River, about 10 minutes mm-hmm. from where I live. And this, this deli, Borscht Deli, uh, puts on this comedy night once a month. And he brings in a lot of Jewish comedians. So, right? It's mm-hmm. a Borscht Deli. He brings in a Jewish comedian. Yeah, perfect. So, before the show started, I had the best pastrami sandwich I've ever eaten in my whole life. Mm-hmm. I mean... It mouth watering, melt in your mouth pastrami. <laughs> it was delicious. So I'll tell you, I'll share with you two jokes about relationships. Okay. All right. So this guy's got together with his rabbi and he says, Rabbi, I'm very, very concerned about my relationship with my wife. And he says, Well, tell me what tell me about your concern. What are you concerned about? You know, I, I don't know if I'm paranoid or what. I think she's trying to poison me. He says, she's trying to poison you. He says, yeah, I just get this feeling that she's just trying to poison me. He says, all right, let me talk to your wife. So he says, I, Rabbi, I'd appreciate it if you could get to the bottom of what's going on here. So a week later, the guy calls. So he says, Rabbi, did you, did you talk to my wife? He says, yeah, I've been meaning to give you a call. I just talked to her today. He says, well, how did it go? I was on the phone with her for three hours. He goes, God, you guys talked about a lot. He says, yeah, I think you should take the poison. (laughs) It's all about perspective, man. (laughs) (laughs) That That was such a good one. So this this is this guy and, and his wife just. They're sitting on the back porch and they're, you know, they're they're living on a farm here in Pennsylvania and just looking at the beautiful landscape and, you know, the sun's setting. I mean, it's like a perfect evening, you know, the spring evenings that just they don't get any better. Mm-hmm. And his wife is sitting there and then all of a sudden she says, you know, I I really need you and I really love you so much. And the guy starts to well up with tears. And he turns to his wife and he says, honey, that's one of the sweetest things you've ever said to me. She says, I was talking to my glass of wine. <laughs> but up, but up. He was eavesdropping. He's like, <laughs> I was talking to my glass of wine. I need you and I love you. <laughs> I couldn't live without you. I can write you. But you know, Alan, at the risk of sounding like two old therapists you're talking, but the first joke, I mean, I, I immediately, and I know you've experienced this too, where you where this is one of the reasons we learn as we go through to when we're working with somebody individually where there's any kind of relational issues in there. Well, we want to meet, we want to meet that spouse. You yeah. know, not to not to do therapy as a couple. So like that. We just it's a perspective thing because it's it's, because I've learned the hard way. Sometimes I can work with somebody for a really long time and then some some situation comes up and their spouse comes in and I see an entirely different side of this person. And I'm going like, oh, I've been missing several points here. (laughs) I got two more jokes that I think. Okay. Okay. Good. So be Billy jokester day on the social. Well, well, I I texted you. I texted you both this morning saying we're doing a show on perfectionism. For God's sake, don't do it perfectly. So, you know, because I know you both needed to be warned about that. So you're doing fine, Alan. You're doing great. Just tell jokes. (laughs) So this this uh, 
this woman's married to this 92 year old guy and they live up on this penthouse, the 10th floor on this high rise, you know, um, right on Wilshire Boulevard. You know where that's at. All those Jewish high rises and stuff like that. And she walks in the house and she hears all of this kind of erotic noise coming from the bedroom. She goes back there and her 92 year old husband is is having sex is f- having sex fucking the <laughs> this gal and she's enjoying that and she goes and grabs his little skinny ass and throws him out the window and he dies mm-hmm. so she's now arrested for murder mm-hmm. gets arraigned in front of the judge and the judge says okay you know you know mrs warrenberg you know mm-hmm. you know you threw your husband out of the world you're being you know charged for murder what do you have to say for yourself you, you, you going to admit that you murdered him? I didn't murder him. He goes, what do you mean? You threw him out the window. Your Honor, I thought if this 92-year-old guy could fuck like that, he could fly. <laughs> <laughs> what a way to go. These are these are com- these are complex jokes. <laughs> one more, one more. This okay, okay. So this guy goes to his rabbi. Rabbi, look, I'm just I'm just not performing like I used to perform. I'm an older man now. And and I know that that the Talmud has something to tell me about, you know, what what we can do in a situation that as a as a Jewish man, I'm responsible for my wife's happiness. And and I'm just not pleasing her in bed anymore. I'm just having trouble performing. So the rabbi thinks for a minute and starts to go through his Talmud and says, you know, there there is some advice in here. He says, but, you know, you're going to have to be willing to do this. And are you willing to do anything to to try to deal with this problem? Guys, of course, you know, we're really desperate at this point in time. We want to find a solution. He says, I want you to find a very, very handsome young man. And I want you to, to bring him back to your house. And when you and your wife are having sex, I want him to be waving a towel. Are you willing to do this? Of course I am. Of course I am. So they go find some guy and say, hey, we'll pay you a hundred bucks. And, you know, will you come in and stand over us while we're having sex and wave this towel? And so they do it. And there's no difference. The guy still has trouble performing. Goes back to the rabbi. Rabbi, we tried that. It didn't work. Now, you know, is there anything else that I can do? He says, well, yes, there is. He says, I want you to go back, and this time, I want you to change roles. You wave the towel, let the guy have sex with your wife. So the guy goes, and he's just waving the shit out of this towel, and his wife is having the time of her life, and she starts to have a seven-minute orgasm. And the guy goes back to the rabbi. He says, Rabbi, that was, and that was a very important experience. He says, well, what happened? He guys having sex with my wife. He gets up and I look at him and say, hey, putz, this is how you wave a goddamn towel. (laughs) That that is a beautiful, again, complicated story about narcissism. It's like (laughs) (laughs) that. If you waved it like this, I would have been fine. That's right. Jesus Christ. Nothing to do with him. Ultimately, it's it's oh. about the. <laughs> <laughs>
So, but anyway, so I, I also, just, all, I all about how you wave the towel. Is the expression. Sam, sandwich and a lot of good laughs last night. And these were good. these were world class comedians. And back up in the back in the days when Frank Sinatra was around, the Catskill Mountains out here on the East Coast is where yeah. all these guys would go perform. Yeah. And all of these brilliant comedians, Don Rickles and that whole group. Yeah. Yeah. Would come up to the Catskill Mountains and they would have these shows. And these were the two tradition. Uh, the tradition goes on. I love that. Tradition is going on. So I, I had a good time. But look, it's in it's in one way. Perfectionism is a laughing matter. In another way, it's not. Because mm-hmm. when you are struck by this curse, it's a friggin' curse. Mm-hmm. And, and going unchecked can lead people to take their lives. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I had a very, very um, person that's very close to me. His name is Chris. And recently, um, I'd say recently, it feels very recent, about a year and three months ago now, mm-hmm. he took his life. And I have never met someone that was so driven by his perfectionism as I met Chris. And if you met Chris, I mean, first of all, he's like this perfect specimen of a guy. He's like a Greek god, an Adonis. I mean, you know, his body had probably 7% body fat, if that much. You know, he was a clinician and, and worked with me and he was in my training group and he, you know, I mean, he had a perfect diet. He'd prepare all his food for the week and he would bring it in and he would just eat stuff that was just ultra healthy. He'd be in the gym five days a week. He was cut. I mean, and when he was in my training group, he was the best damn student you could have. Worked his ass off, understood this stuff, went way beyond what any other student did in terms of integrating concepts. I mean, got this stuff like nobody else got it. Right. I, you know, but, you know, I, I met I knew Chris. It's like I met Chris at our first uh, right. uh, point of intervention workshop uh, and, and and got to be, be with him some of the time. It's, and also one of the one of the kindest people. I didn't know him as well as you did, but he seriously seemed to be one of oh. the kindest people in the on the in the world. Always. Right. Every time I met him, he's one of those people that basically he always had lots of stuff, as you're talking about, got going on for him. But the only the, the, the focus he had anytime he saw me after however long it had been was tell me how are you doing? What's going What are you what are you working on? What are you up to? He, he showed just an immediate interest in, in me. Uh, and, and it was, he was just such a, I mean, I just, and I always, it was just one of those people that you like to be around. But just great guy. Wonderful. And brilliant clinician. Um, he worked with a lot of, um, kids like teenagers, right. That were into sports and stuff. Cause oh, that he would have been, oh, he would have been wonderful at that. Absolutely. Oh, he was so good. I mean, these kids would just fall in love with him. He was so creative in terms of his work with them, he applied these gestalt things and had them doing chair work. I mean, it was, he was amazing, but he was a perfectionist. And if, if he felt like he failed someone, he was so hard on himself. It was really hard for him to separate out failing from making a mistake and learning from the mistake. It was very much, he turned a mistake into that. I'm a mistake instead of it just being a mistake. It was, yeah. he was so fused, right. With the outcome right. of behavior, which is what tormented him as an athlete. He was so focused on performing at this 
you know, super high level, which he could do because he was a naturally gifted athlete, fantastic athlete. But the perfectionism undermined that part of his life. He ended up turning alcohol and drugs in his life is what I think is a way of dealing with this stuff. But the thing that that sent him over the edge and and I never realized this. And I, I, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to talk with him about it is he he had a fat deposit underneath his left pectoral muscle. Mm -hmm. And when you took his shirt off, you could see that there was an anomaly Mm -hmm. on the left side of his body. It wasn't perfectly symmetrical. Well, he researched to find the best plastic surgeon he could find to correct this anomaly. And he went to the surgeon and the surgeon did his thing. Chris, we found this out later when somebody was able to get in his computer, was furious with the surgeon. He would be writing him memos about, look at these pictures. And so Chris would send him a picture when he was like in his teens. Now, just before the surgery and after the surgery with his shirt off, right? Mm -hmm. He says, look at what you did to me. You deformed me. I'm deformed. How can I ever take off my shirt again with a woman and ever feel good about myself? I saw the pictures. Mm -hmm. I saw no difference. It's beautiful. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Nothing. He saw that he was malformed, that he was deformed by the surgery and could not let it go and eventually hung himself. And I mean, and even in, in hanging himself, it was an amazing thing. He got the message. He tried to hang himself. He had the wrong belt. The first time he put it on his note and put it on the pipe and he went to hang himself, the belt mm-hmm. buckle broke off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And because he was a again. perfectionist, what was he going to do? I'm going to find the right belt. <laughs> Not, oh, my God, here's the message. Maybe the message is rethink this. Pause for a minute, right? Let me think. And he just came out of spending a week at Sierra Tucson working on this stuff, sending me messages. Man, I think I'm getting a handle on this perfectionism and da da da. da. I mean, that's how insidious this process can be. So when we say, in one way, it's it's humorous because even the thought that we can be perfect is so absurd. What was it? One of your little nutshells was, I was just reading it today when you sent it to Mm me. You know, I love your nutshells. I always love Mm -hmm. them. I don't remember. I knew I sent you some on perfectionism. I can't remember what they were. But but I mean, you know, you you said this is that um, perfectionists waste a lot of time and energy believing they're supposed to be something that is humanly impossible. That's well, it. Yeah. That's so absurd, right? Perfectionists are not having nearly as much fun as they could have. That's right. <laughs> I mean, that's they can't because everything is so damn serious for them. <laughs> everything, like I said, with Chris, this stuff was a life and death matter. Well, and to and to the the, the degree that you're talking, and, and again, like everything else, you know, we, you want to, you know, when we're working with people, when we're looking at ourselves, you know, you want to kind of, you want to do a, a personal assessment, a personal inventory about where, you know, where your perfectionism is. And when you're talking about somebody that is, is that lost in it as Chris was, it's, 
Uh, and I see a lot of that in eating disorder. Not, you know, I don't think eating disorder people have a corner on that market, but but eating disorder people uh, uh, often often have a real battle with this stuff. I've, I've, long ago, I began to say, you know, to, to people who who came to me for help with eating disorder is, okay, well, I need to warn you ahead of time that 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 there is no such thing as eating disorder recovery without recovering from perfectionism. It's like you can't it can't be done. It's like we're going to have to do both of those things, and it. And at that level, it becomes even when and I, when you talked about him looking in the mirror and seeing something that you and I couldn't possibly see it's you know, I think about the, the body dysmorphia that's uh, right. so often that eating disorder people have. And, and it's like one of the things I've learned about from them and to teach their families is, you know, no, there's no amount of staring at the mirror that's going to make them see what you see. It's like this is I, I call it actually psychotic. And, and Chris obviously had this. I call it psychotic experience in non psychotic people. It's like it's, the person does not qualify. They're not psychotic. They can't be diagnosed as psychotic. But what they actually can see and sometimes kinesthetically experience inside their body is completely uh, uh, broken from reality. It's, it's, and it's delusional. And it's um, and the idea the idea is that it is humanly impossible and it's to me i you know I, we we talk about the multiplicity and the different characters in our heads and stuff this is one of the best examples of just what i think of is is just the best way to think about it is just straight out possession this is a this is best thought of as a as a possessing entity that i mean because you're talking about chris and i'm learning even more as you're talking about today he's there he's fighting back he's it's not that he's not trying he's actually sarah tucson continuing to work on it and stuff like that but it's like this this is another this is one of the reasons we help try to help people to differentiate themselves from from these in this case it's 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 not just I mean we we work with it however is going to be best for the person but it's like in this case I go like this is not a part another part of your authentic person that we need we need to figure out how to take care of this this is a possessing demon this is this is a this this is a this is a very destructive belief system that that is going to hold you accountable to to this un, un you know unreachable goal always. Uh, and, 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 and you're saying it, it will, it can kill you. And if it, and, and one of it, one of my little nutshells about perfectionism is, you know, it's like perfectionism can kill you. And between now and then it's going to take all the fun out of your life. That's right. You know, you're not going to have any joy in life. It's like, it's like, it will ruin your life. It's not, you know, in, in this case, you know, we're, we're, we're taking the slant on that right now that it's like, and from this angle, there is nothing funny about it. No. No, and see, and, and then it gets to what function does this really play in our life, right? Because where did this right. come from? How come? Well, we do know that there's a cultural influence. You know, we always are looking at the perfect score, right? If somebody gets the perfect score, mm -hmm. they've it's amazing, right? Like the 10, mm -hmm. when a 10 was achieved mm -hmm. in gymnastics, it was considered, mm -hmm. oh, my God, was a 10 ever possible? Mm -hmm. You know, in mm -hmm. So we're looking for always the perfect performance, you know, like the, it, you know, March Madness is going on right now. You know, mm -hmm. these teams are trying to play up to the, you know, to a level of perfectionism. So they win the tournament. I, I just love John Wooden, one of the greatest bas you know, college basketball coaches that ever lived. And he says, perfectionism is a curse. He says, what I want my players to do is to know that if they give their best effort, whether they win or lost the, the mm -hmm. game, 
that they were winners. See, that's the kind of bulletproof concepts that we need to have that is based on what we can do to, to create the experience, not what's going to happen out there. So that's one piece of it. But the other piece, let's go back to this function. What does perfectionism do? How is it that in our culture, everybody develops it to one degree or another? Every one of us has a perfectionist inside of us. Like you said, it's when you're dealing with an eating disorder person, we could even say, they don't have an eating disorder. They have a perfectionism disorder, mm -hmm. what they do. And it's attached itself to their food and their body, right? I mean, it's, right. it's, they've now put all the energy to being perfect towards, you know, managing their, how they look. If let's say mm -hmm. that they're anorexic or bulimorexic mm -hmm. or bulimic. Um, but we see that or, attached. Or yeah, I was just going to say, or even the other thing is you, you get into talking with people with eating disorders, even they're talk about the impossible. They're, they, they become the exception to science. It's like they believe they're supposed to, you know, that the rules of, of, of you know, well, other, other people need to eat this much in order to be OK. I don't. That's right. I've had medical doctors as, as clients who, who, who can sit there and tell you, I mean, you know, totally saying again, totally saying with with this, this broken from reality, psychotic belief is like I you know, I, if, if somebody came into my office and was experiencing this, I would know what to tell them. And I would tell them this. It's like I you know, when they got to the place where they could actually differentiate and make that be aware, they go like, but I don't believe it. I, be, I believe I believe what I believe what the eating disorder tells me or what the perfectionism tells me. Yeah. And it's like and we need to, and I guess one of the things, too, we need to realize and, and when we're dealing with other people, just friends or whatever, it's like that it, because you're right. We can and, you know, we, we can do this. We do the same thing sometimes. It's like but you can you can you can laugh it off and think, well, perfectionism is just kind of a lightweight word for, you know, it's, it's a lightweight word for what we talk about a lot of times, which is self-hatred. Yes. You know, it is self-hatred. It's not self-criticism. It's not even self I finally found out that for, for dealing with some of that for myself, that self-condemnation began to become feel like an understatement, too. So, you know, that's when, you know, landing on self-hatred was the most validating thing that could happen for me is, 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 is a strange thing to say is good news. But it's like the idea that once I, you know, you can't solve a problem that you can't define. And once once I was able to call it that and have somebody get it, that I was that I literally I literally had deep hatred for myself, then I could start to get out of there. So it's, it's like we want people not to minimize it by saying, oh, just perfectionism or I'm just, you know, I'm just with that kind of stuff. It's like, no, if you have this and you're not getting help for it, reach out. Right on. And look, I just want to I want to elaborate on what you said. See, that what I call that that you just described, Tom, is claiming special status. That I don't know if anybody else can do it, but I'm going to be perfect. <laughs> yep. 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 Somehow I have been the anointed one, right? Mm -hmm. I, I will be the one person that finally can pull this perfectionism thing off. Mm -hmm. and, and we have that. And everybody has this degree of special status mm -hmm. that they think that somehow the, the like you said, the, the realities of the givens of, of being a human being do not apply to them. Right. 
Well, well I, and let me say, let me say this piece, because I think I, th- I think there are people, too, that that would, could hear what you're saying. And, and, and there's a little caveat that goes with it. And that is sometimes you may not even believe that you are the, the, the exception to the rule that you can do it. But you do believe you're the exception to the rule that it is required of you. That's right. You know, it's like it's like other people don't have to do it. If you ask them point blank, do you think you're going to be able to pull it off? They might tell you, no, I don't. But it, but but but, you know, and then you ask them, why? Why don't I have to do that? It's because that's a special status. It's like because you're not me. Yeah, it's that it's that negative arrogance we talk about. Well, that's exactly the negative. I was going to just mm-hmm. say that it's exactly mm-hmm. what you're talking about. I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it's it's that negative arrogance. I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. I'm not much, but I'm sure I, that's all you're thinking about is me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I've never, um, I've never been able to placate or satisfy the perfectionist voice in me, mm-hmm. and I don't know what the experience is like for others, but um, I've also never, uh, I've never credited it with um, encouraging me towards any desired outcome or positive outcome. It's always been the opposite. It's always been the perfectionist urges discourage me from accomplishing anything that my heart sets itself on doing. And so uh, I feel like whenever I'm, you know, engaged in any productive activity, I literally need to like take the perfectionist and like put him in a chair in the other room <laughs> because he's not like, there's no supervision that I'm getting that is going to, help me to get like a higher, get to a higher plateau. Say more, say more about how, about the, about how, how he not only does it, does it, does it help? Does it help motivate? Does it help encourage? But, but actually, actually would you, I can't remember your exact word discourages or, or he works against you. Say yeah. more about that. Yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, I think in, especially in my using and drinking days, I think that, um, mm-hmm. I was hearing a lot of, uh, there's a lot of interior dialogue about, well, you're never going, it's not going to be perfect or it's not going to be, it's not going to match up with your ideal of of how a thing should be, whatever that thing is. So you might as well not try. And, you know, here's some pills you can take while you, uh, while you don't try. Yeah. Right. It's, it's, I actually, I actually had somebody, I heard a, a therapist working with a client one time refer to that as advanced perfectionism. We were working in a group and a co-therapist of mine, somebody was, we were talking about giving examples of perfectionism. And, and this one person said, Oh, I, you know, I don't even try. And, and, and she said, Oh, advanced perfectionism, you know, and it's, it's like, it's like, you know, because if you think about it, the, this, what is discouragement trying to do? Discouragement is, try, if, we, if we personify discouragement, it's trying to take us to hopeless, because if, if, if I can get you to hopeless, then you'll stop trying. And then I, then I, then, then I'm, you know, God knows why that's, that's what motivates that. But it's like, it's, it, you know, it's, it's not from the bigger picture. It really is. It really is some, some aberrant coping mechanism gone awry. It's like, it, you know, it's like we can find, we can always look back and find out how, you know, we always make sense. It came in there somewhere, but, but at this point it's, it's, it's toxic. It's poisonous. It's cancerous. And, and it's, you, you, you better put it in the other room. <laughs> And uh, and uh, and keep putting it in the other room, because as you as the three of us know, 
we can put any one of these 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 uh, inner culprits in the other room, and and they'll whether it be right away or a little bit later, they'll come walking back in. It's like, and what we're, what we're saying is that's okay as long as you know who it is. This is what we're teaching people. This is how you recover from perfectionism. Know what it is so that you understand when it speaks. You're not tuning in because, see, that's the thing. These voices, whether it be our alcoholism, whether it be self-hatred or perfectionism, when they speak, we we have a tendency to really just they have such credibility with us. We tune in. And 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 what we got to do is I tell people we we learn to differentiate these 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 voices, these characters in our head, these 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 demons so that you know who to ignore. Yeah. You know, that's the, the point is, because sometimes I'll be saying, always, who is that talking? Who is that talking? And then we get to a certain place and I go, I don't care what your eating disorder has to say. And they'll go, wait, you spent the last six months making me tell you what the eating disorder said. Well, yeah, I, I wanted to be sure you knew who the eating disorder was. So, you know, you know, who who to ignore, who to tell to fuck off. You know, one of the things we call it in my office, we call it putting the fuck you in the right place. It's like, you know, big clinical jargon there. It's like, you know, it's, 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 I've been, we've been pointing that fuck you at ourselves all this time. And that's what perfectionism does. And we want to go like, no, I'm, I'm pointing that right back out. And you're not going to destroy it, but you, but you can, but it gives you space, you know, a right amount, a little bit of anger is good here because anger fuels boundaries. Anger says, says no, no. It's like, you know, you, you know, you have to, you know, well, you won't be able to do this right, exactly right, Patrick. So you might as well not try it. It's like it, you get you get separate. You go. Fuck you. I'm not even trying to do it exactly right. You know, I'm just doing it because it's the next thing to do. Or I'm just doing it because I think it might be fun. Or I'm just doing it because Alan told me it would be a good idea. You know, and that's enough. Exactly. I think yeah. I, I think I got I got I got a little emotional. I got carried away there. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> I have a lot of feelings about this. I really do. Yeah. Oh, well, listen, you and I have seen it destroy so many people that we care oh, about. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's you know the the three people that I've worked with that and you know that or that I know of that have taken and committed suicide. Two of which I worked with at one point. They mm-hmm. weren't my clients at the time that this happened. Um, they had the same thing Chris had. I see mm-hmm. that pattern, this, yeah. this impenetrable, you know, quest for perfectionism. And no matter what happened, no matter what experiences, no matter how many times they were challenged by it, they couldn't let it go. Now, some people, like you said, are able to get to the point where they put the fuck you in the right place mm-hmm. and are able to tell that part, just like some people in recovery. When the mm-hmm. addict self starts to tell them, hey, let's go, we'd say, eh. No, thanks, tequila boy. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not interested today. Right. You know, maybe visit with me tomorrow. We'll mm-hmm. talk about it then. But today, no, no deal. You know, it's a recovery yeah. decision that you and I talk about. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. And, so, and sometimes it comes right down to, to, to productive, positive procrastination is what you just described. I was right. always, I was so happy when I got into recovery and somebody told me that recovery is based on procrastination because I thought, oh, good, a, a pop, finally a positive thing. It's, it's like, you know, so, so sometimes I'll say like, like, you know, I just haven't gotten around to my next drink for the last 36 years, right. you know, it, it's. <laughs> Like and that. I'm not going to do it today. So it's like, you know, I'm going to put that off. It's like I, I, I still struggle with procrastination, but there are some ways it really works. See, I, I've often started to really believe this to be true, is that 
that this idea, which I think is a psychotic idea, I, I really like how you said that, that mm-hmm. there is a very contained psychosis in the middle of someone who's normal otherwise. Yep. And, and that psychosis is I can be perfect, right? That I've got yes. somehow the ability or should have the ability to be perfect. And completely I, broken from reality. Completely. Totally. And it Absolutely. binds anxiety. See, I think that idea surfaced as a solution to who do I have to be? What do I have to do to ensure I'm going to be okay in this world? And so somehow out of all of the possibilities, that became the one thing a person focused on. If I grab a hold of this, this will be the key to the kingdom, mm-hmm. right? This will be the key to my kingdom. And so I'm going to get a hold of this key called perfectionism, and I'm going to bring it close to me in whatever way it means. You and I have seen it manifest itself Mm -hmm, in a lot mm -hmm. of different ways. Being perfectionistic is very relative to each person. Mm -hmm. One person would look at somebody who's got a perfectionism in a way to get, and we would say, that's not perfectionism for me, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? Right, right. You know, it's going to be manifest itself different. But I, you know, but but remind everybody what it is, because that was another one of your perfection is not doing things perfectly. No, it's 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 not doing things perfectly. It's because people say, oh, no, I'm not a perfectionist. You go like, no, it's it's thinking it's believing that you're supposed to do things perfectly. And, right. and it's like that's that's the psychotic belief. That's the. But it, and by the way, if you're listening to this and you're experiencing this, we're not calling you psychotic. We're not. We don't have MRIs to pick up these beliefs. Stuff. This is a way of imaging. it. It's like to see that th- there is nothing. You know, we're talking about people who. You know, we may be neurotic as the day is long, but it's like we don't we're not psychotic. It's like and but it's like in this middle little piece, if we define psychosis as broken from reality of actually believing something that is simply not even close to be, being true and can be demonstrated as, as that it's like and you still believe it anyway, then then you're that's it's like. What, you know, and of course, what will happen is that that self-hater will take that and turn it against you, too, because we'll beat ourselves up for beating ourselves up and we'll hate ourselves for hating ourselves. It's like, you know, fuck you to that. It's like no way. It's like if you're if you're identifying with this, understand that it's really a weird thing, because what if you're working with either Alan or I about this, we're going to ask you to suspend your own. Uh, credibility in a way we're going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to need you to disqualify your, your opinion about this for a little while, because you can't see, especially when we're talking about like things that we can actually see and you, and they can, somebody can see and say, I see that that with with Chris, you know, it's like what I would would say that, that, you know, he needed to, he needed to suspend his, he needed to stop trusting his vision. Yeah. Not just, not just his opinion, his vision, his, his eyes weren't working. It's like this is this is a it creates, you know, we talk about hallucinations, we talk about delusions, but these are also illusions that, that we can get with with body image things. You can you I believe when somebody with an eating disorder who has body dysmorphia looks in the mirror and they describe what they see or they or they think they see this in themselves. What I've learned to do is is I no longer you know people try to talk them out of it all the time. We go like you know, I may I may point out occasionally to, to be sure they understand I don't see what you see. But I'm not here. I'm not. I don't believe I can convince you of that. What I want to convince you of is that you can't see yourself accurately. And that's true about personal characteristics as well as as physical characteristics. It's it's like whatever it is you believe we got to go. And this is one of the things that I love about what we've been doing with emotional sobriety, Alan, is is 
it's it's the word the word I've been one word I've been using more and more and more since we've been working together on this is is investigation. You know, I've been I've been referring to my clients as co-investigators. You know, we're we're looking into we're looking into these things. We're trying to trying to understand what this is. And so what we need to be able to do is not just not just identify that this is a problem, but try to to, you know, it's not hard for us from the outside to have compassion for the person with the problem. But it is really hard for the person who has it to have compassion for themselves. That's one of the, that's one of the things that I think, and Patrick, I think you would probably validate that. I'll check it with you to see is that, that, you know, the problem, a lot of the problem is that you don't, you know, you, you haven't, before you get recovery, you don't have anybody in there to turn to in your own head who can say it's not true. Yeah. I mean, it's, it just exists as the truth, right? That's exactly right. And I wasn't able to make any, significant progress what progress i've made so far until i first got sober and um started uh you know this mental health overhaul and i and i and since then i feel like uh i've loosened up a lot and um i've been able to get a lot more more work done and um it's kind of it's so paradoxical but like in my loosening of perfectionist uh Mm -hmm strictures um Mm -hmm. i've actually become a lot more quote unquote perfect in just the quality of my output the uh the amount of my output um and just the way i run my life is just so much tidier so much happier um Mm -hmm. and i still i it helped for me uh that i flamed out so hard that like i did i did that perfectionist did lose a lot of credibility with me (laughs) <laughs> I think that, you know, from batting against the window so many times. Yeah. Like I just, uh, there, I just, the perfectionist voice does not have as much cachet with me as it, as, uh, it used to because it just didn't deliver the results and, uh, it's an asshole and I'm not really interested in uh, as much in hearing what it has to say. It could still get in a few good licks every once in a while, but mm-hmm. yeah. That's a really good point because one of the things about that, you know, there you talk, we're talking about the old the old standard hitting bottom, you know, in in recovery stuff. It's like it's like there there is a tremendous advantage to going way down to the bottom. It's like I mean, there's some there's no guarantees because we can we can we can we can mess that up too. But but one of the the challenges of therapy, uh, you know, and of twelve step support, but but therapy in particular is helping people. Avoid having to, to flame out, you know, is helping people be able to see the potential downside of this, the, you know, the, 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 how this might get worse, you know, so that we can tur- so that they can turn it around before they do that. You know, because for one thing, it's dangerous and it's, it's life threatening even to, to, to not. But it's. Um, um, yeah, because that, it reminds me of one of the things I've, I remember from 12 steps from early, early on in my recovery is, you know, whenever whenever somebody says, well, at least I don't do so and so, at least I never did this. You yeah. know, the old timers would always say yet. Yeah. You haven't done that yet. You know, it's like, you know, I, mean, I heard it first with like somebody saying, well, at least I don't use needles. You know, it's go like, well, yet it's like, but it, it applies to all of this stuff, too. You know, at least, it, you know, at least I'm just still doing this. I don't feel this way. You know, I'm doing OK. It's like, yeah, but it, 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 when when has this ever gone? When has this ever gotten better on its own? You know, 
And it's like, it doesn't, we have to, we have to do it. Well, and let's, and that, that will be the focus of our next show next week is we're going to talk about what you can do when you start to become aware of some of the things that you and I have talked about today. Good. How to now take on your perfectionism. All right. That sounds fun. I look forward to that. Perfectly. No. Mm -hmm. Do it radically imperfectly is what we're going to do. That's, right. we're going to, yeah, that's what we want. That's what, we're, way, that's what we're striving for. Well, and, and bottom line is it really is, you know, when one thing doesn't work, you try another. That's it. We have to be something that we're not. And then we have to get it right. We, we don't have to get it right. We don't even have to get it. We don't even have, no, We can I, fuck it up. It's okay. Time, and you see it so early in kids, man. I mean, I, I, obviously Jess and I are doing something to communicate, but Cece, I'm on a tennis court with her yesterday. Mm-hmm. She's taking tennis twice a week. Mm-hmm. This club that's close to our house. And she throws the racket down and says, I can't do this. Wow. I mean, at four years old, she just turned four. She's got this expectation of herself that she should just get up and hit that damn ball mm-hmm. every time. That's amazing. Yeah. Isn't it? It's right in there. And I remember Maddie having it. I mean, I just remember mm-hmm. Maddie in a, in a lot. I mean, I think the great thing with Maddie is I've seen her work through that so much. She's really got to the point now. It's, you know, I'm not expecting that. I'm just going to work at it and I'll get better at it. And, you know, and that's what I was encouraging. She said, yeah, it's hard right now. You keep trying it. You'll figure it out. I know you will. Let's try this now. And we, we tried something else and we were able to. Well, and that's, and, and tell me if I'm, you know, you're the, you're the expert on, on kids. I'm not. It's like, but, but the, the advantage of it showing up for CC now is, is you get to start helping her through it. Exactly. 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 That's right on, right on. Practical right. solutions until next time. Tinge your life. Tinge your myth. Cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with. Then with glass in hand and children on one knee. Bring some stories. Bring your stories back to me. It ain't a crime to be a human. Never be ashamed to be yourself. Rest assured that whatever you're doing, entertain me like nobody else so here's to us my old friends until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again with glass in hand and children on one knee bring some stories bring your stories back to me